law enforcement, military, warriors. Others, maybe they don't go near a weapon, but, but we're there. And, you know, the walls of the heart came down as far as everyone was open to God. We were there. Uh, the Wilderness Ranch is just such a peaceful place. You know, I, I drove on it and I said, man, this, there's a presence of the Lord there. And then to get in the Word, to be able to worship together, to have some guys that accepted Jesus as Savior there, they experienced the touch of God, to have some guys that want to participate in water baptism afterwards. So that's the lake. It was a lake that uh, it was man-made, but they went deep down enough, about 35, 35 feet plus, so that they could get the aquifer to get fresh water coming in. Uh, so at the end, to have, I think, about eight guys that got water baptized and even speaking to some of the, the men here this morning, they said, man, I don't know what it is. I've come back and I missed that place. And it was just the presence of the Lord. Uh, God honors it, you know, when we uh, make a decision to go to seek him. And being transparent, I confess to you, I've been to so many men's conferences. And there's still things on my schedule that I want to do. And so at first I was not going to go. I thought, you know what, the church is good. The pastors are good. They got it covered. They're They're going. But then I, I sensed that the Lord was telling me, go, and I went above my emotions and my feelings and my flesh. My flesh did not want to go. You know, a group of guys get away. I don't know who had the idea of having beans on Friday night or Thursday night, you know, but that, that has a lot of, you know, kind of like exhaustion, you know. And then some of the guys, they sleep, I guess, in the refrigerator, so they brought the temperature down to like 60s. Guys were freezing, the fumes. And then like me, I snore. You know, I never heard myself snoring, but my wife tells me that. And so we're sleeping, and every once in a while, you know, she'll wake me up, and I want to tell her, if one of us is going to be awake, let it be you, because I don't hear myself snoring. I know that's very <laughs> selfish, you know, but, uh, you know, some of the guys, they're snoring. They're keeping other people up. Uh, but we were able to, to get through it. And the common denominator is that we sensed Jesus, the presence of God met us there, and I share that with you because my question is, when's the last time that you experienced the presence of the Lord in your life? When, when's the last time that you went to a church service and the worship, the teaching, you sense, God, you're speaking to me. And I don't want to resist. I don't want my heart to get hardened. Lord, I want you to do that work in me that you're trying to do. And so... As we get ready to dive into Mark chapter 16, uh, I believe that that's the common thread in these 20 verses. Um, I, I use a story. I use a story that uh, at the men's conference the Lord shared. And uh, in life, you know, sometimes you're at the point of zero. You know, there's disappointments. You're let down. You're hurt. And then the divine element steps into the picture. You know, God's working. And you go from zero to recognizing that God is truly the hero. You know, from zero to hero, but it's God. And so in our county, there's the West Miami Middle School. Those of you that know the school, you, you're aware. Those of you that don't know the school, it's on 75th Avenue and Coral Way. Right there in the corner, you know, there's West Miami Middle School. And if you go one block north of that, on the same side of the street or the avenue, which is the west side, there is a house there that a group of people that left a denominational church, they started meeting at a storefront, and then they were able to buy this house and they were so excited. They had their first service on Sunday morning. Uh, they now had their property, a new church, a young church. Kind of like we could relate to that. You know, but Monday, the Monday after the Sunday, code enforcement, Dade County, building and zoning came knocking at the door. They had a paper to cease and desist and to evacuate the property immediately because they could not meet there as a church. It wasn't church zone. It was our RU1, single family zone, and they're having a church. Uh, it was an interesting thing because the pastor there went to the county, met with the officials and said, listen, I, I didn't know this about zoning. Forgive me. What do I need to do to, to pass the zoning? 
And the individual at Building and Zoning said, listen, sir, with all respect, I know you're a man of religion, I know you believe in God, I know you have faith, but you will never be able to meet there as a church. The requirements for church in Miami-Dade County at minimum are two acres to five acres. And you don't even have an acre there. So sell it, move, forget it, don't even try. He says, well, what do I need to do? So he got the information, decided to go to a hearing. They went to like seven to, to ten hearings, you know. And the process, I remember one of the hearings, the attorney quit. The attorney took the, took the, took the, the job, but he saw that it was, it was impossible. So the attorney didn't even show to the hearing with the, with the county commission. And back then it was the Honorable Clark. Stephen Clark was the mayor, so they called the church, Iglesia Cristiana Juan Wesley, and the attorney wasn't there. So out of nowhere, the mayor says, I'm their attorney today. You know, he started, he had seen the church. Make a long story short. They got the zoning. And if you go by 20, 21st Street, I think it is, 20, yeah, 22nd Street, 22nd Street, 75th Avenue, you'll see the church that they bought another house. They built a building in the middle, and, and there's a church there. You know, God loves it when man says, you will never do this. You know, like, did you check that with God? Did you get that from God, or did you get that from yourself? Now, here's the rest of the story. There was a young pastor there that was doing the youth ministry. He was a youth pastor. And like I told you, they're on 22nd Street, West Side. The next block from 22nd Street to Coralway, 24th Street, is the West Miami Middle School. And that young pastor at youth ministry, he would pray for the school, that God would open a door for the school. And nothing ever really happened that the young pastor saw it. You know, he left the church, things happened, moved on. Well, at the men's conference... The pastor is talking to two guys, and he's listening to the guys talking, and they're talking, they're comparing notes, they're comparing experiences. Well, it turns out that these two guys went to West Miami Middle School. And that young pastor that now is 66 years old is me, and I'm listening to that conversation, and it's like the Lord gently nudges me and says, so you thought the prayers were nowhere. Because I really thought, I said, Lord, I prayed all those prayers, and I guess that was just emotions, you know, youth, you pray, you have faith, you believe, but, and the Lord said, you thought the prayers were nowhere, and now you have Manny Guanzo, you have Jose Rivero, and they're part of the church you're pastoring, and I not only answer that prayer, I put these men in your life, I put you in their lives, they're part of the army, they're part of the ministry that you're serving in. And I share that with you because I wonder how many of you here this morning, you've forgotten that God answers prayers. God is true. God is real. He didn't have to show me that. We're going to read here in Mark 16 that Jesus went to the cross. He died. He was buried. And he rose again. And that's all that God really needs to do. There's people that pray and pray and pray, and they're going to see the answers to their prayer in heaven. But God in his kindness and mercy, in his infinite favor, this last weekend, he, he just wanted to show me. I'm listening to your prayers. I was going to say this at the end, but I'm terrible at holding surprises when, when I can't. So at the end of the service, somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor, what, what years were those again? I thought about 81, between 81, 82, to like about 89. and 89, I left. And the lady tells me, Pastor, in 1989, I was, I was at West Miami Middle School in Swanee. And little did I know that before I even met Swanee, someone that I've seen in church, served alongside part of the worship ministry, how even today the Lord's telling me, Raz, you don't even know anything. <laughs> you, got, you got no idea. Chapter 16, the gospel according to Mark, verse 1 through verse 5. If you want an outline for that, you want to write down the word arrival. You're going to have these ladies that followed Jesus, these ladies that were touched by Jesus. You're going to have these ladies that are on their way to the tomb, the grave, the sepulcher. They arrive there. 
But before we begin to read, I want to make sure that you realize that they're at the point of zero. Their Savior, their Jesus, their Messiah, their Redeemer, the one that's made the difference in their life, he died. He was buried. If you talk about disillusionment, if you talk about depressed, if you talk about frustrated, if you talk about down, if you talk about out, that's where these ladies are. And they're still going, I guess, out of just sheer woman commitment that we want to bless our Savior. He died, but we're going to honor at least his body. That's the way they're going to the tomb. You got to get that this morning. But before the chapter's over, they're going to go from zero to, man, God, you're the hero. You answered the prayer. Jesus is alive. But before we get there, join me. Verse 1, chapter 16. Let's begin to read. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, they bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Who's him? Jesus, the one that has died, been buried. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, I stopped there and I think with you, Sabbath starts at down sunset of Friday and it goes to sunset of Saturday. So when the Sabbath is past, it's still Saturday evening, they're thinking, man, we're going to go to the grave. But now Sunday morning, the very early in the morning, the first day of the week, now they're on their way to the tomb. When the sun had risen, verse 3, they on the way to the tomb, this is what they were saying among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the grave of the tomb for us. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Let's stop there for a second, and let's look at some of the things here that under the heading of arrival, I pray this morning that you and I will be able to look here, make the observation, hopefully see the implication, and man, I pray that you could take some application home with you. If I were to act it out, I see these ladies, you know, very dark in the morning. Let's say that the sepulcher, let's say that the tomb is here to your right, you know, and, and, and they're walking, and on the way there, they have a good mission. They're on a mission. What's their mission? They want to pay homage. They want to pay respects. They want to honor the body of Jesus. And they're on the way to the tomb, and they got their spices. They're going to uh, wrap the body of Jesus with these uh, oils, these uh, uh, aromatic, very good-smelling, preserving oils, you know. And, and they're on their way there. They're on a mission, but they got a problem. What's the problem? There's this large stone that it's on an incline, and so they roll it down. They roll it down to the close of the entrance to the tomb. And that stone is huge. They don't have the power. They don't have the strength. They don't have the ability to, to, to move that stone. But it's an interesting thing that sometimes when you don't have everything that you need, at least you use what you do have. And what did they have? They had a passion for Jesus. They had a love. They had an appreciation. They had a gratitude. And, and he, he died on the cross. They saw Joseph of Arimathea. They saw Pilate take the body down. That's what the closing verses in chapter 15 told us. As we're making our way through the book of gospel according to Mark, we come to the end there. And they've seen this. It's broken their heart. And they're on the way to the tomb, but they got a problem. Another way to look at that is they're worrying. They're worrying about how are they going to get that stone moved? Again, I call your attention, verse 3, and they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Verse 3, problem. They're worrying. Someone said the problem with worrying is that you're worrying. Because if God could fix it, why worry? And then if God can't fix it, why worry? It's done. He can't fix it, right? So why worry? Someone said that 
90% of our worries are worrying about things that never happen. I know it doesn't happen to you, but I'm the type of person, I got a headache, man, I think it's cancer. I, I just know it. You know, two days, I, I'm just that way. I, I got that from my dad and my mom. You know, my mom was very cool, but my dad, I guess hypochondria, I got the best. You worry. Man, I got this pain, this I go and you get through it. You forget, you got through it. Something else comes up, you worry. I wonder what you worry about. How many people here are younger than 19 years of age? Would you lift up your hands if you're younger than 19 years, under 19? Lift up your hands, lift them high. When you get to be 66, trust me, it's a, it's a benefit to be <laughs> under 19, okay? I, I wonder what you worry about. You know, people today, maybe they worry about computer games. You know, you want to get to the next level. I remember when I was under 19, my worries were, man, I want to get my driver's license. I, I would, I would, I don't know, I don't know if I was worried or not, but I did think about, man, who am I going to get married to? And, man, will I ever, you know, will I get married? And then part of the time, I'm never going to get married. And I went through those things. Um, I'm a blessed man. I'm such a blessed man. I, I sometimes think when I get to heaven, they're going to say, stand in the corner, go way back there, and don't let us see you full, because we gave you so many blessings here on the earth. Such a blessed man, you know. And But I remember sitting in middle school, Booker T. Washington, 54 in New York City, sitting in my classroom, looking out the window and thinking, man, the world is so hypocritical. I remember having teachers that were teaching me just because they didn't want to go to Vietnam. I know they were trying to dodge the draft, so they became teachers. And I could tell they didn't care about the students. They didn't care about the subject matter. It was hard for me to learn from them. It's my problem. It was my pride, but that's the way I'm wired. And I remember, I remember, you know, my dad is a pastor and, and you know, church is supposed to be special. And I remember some sheep, they were like, uh, I don't know, Rambo sheep or Frankenstein sheep, but, man, they were, they were mean sheep. And I remember, man, life is just, man, is it even worth it to live? And I share that with you because some of the, so many things that I worried about, I look at my life today and, God, you've been there. You've rolled stones away. God has been so faithful. And I wonder what you worry about. I know nobody today is worrying about elections or elected officials or who's going to be the next president or what's going to happen with this whole... I know nobody worries about that, but I wonder. And if the time that we spend worrying, if we would spend that time focusing on Jesus, the one that will see to it that the stones that need to be moved for you to get in and to see what you need to see, if we would focus on that. Look with me there, chapter 16, and make the transition from the worry of verse 3. Who's going to roll away the stone? from the door of the tomb for us, with verse 4, when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. Now, I never really know why it has these words there at the end of that, for it was very large. So I stop again, I think with you, I wonder if it says that, because the stone was so large that when it was moved, they actually noticed it was moved. But even today, when you go to Gordon's tomb there in Israel, those of us that have been to Israel, we've been there, and we see that there's no stone there. That apparently the angel, when the angel moved that stone, he moved it so strongly that who knows where it wound up. My pastor thinks it's in, in Petra someplace, you know. But the point is, I wonder why does it say that they noticed that the stone had been moved away because it was so large that they couldn't see, you couldn't miss that the stone was there and the entrance was there. I wonder if that's what it's saying. Or I wonder if it's trying to say they noticed that the stone was moved and then here it says... For it was very large, meaning that it was impossible for them, but it's possible with God. I wonder if the application for that for you and for me this morning is, I know a lot of you here, you got no problems, but trust me, in life, you're going to come across a problem that's going to be very large. 
It's going to be impossible for the doctor. It's going to be impossible for your family members. It's going to be impossible even for your pastors. It's going to be impossible for your church. It's so large that only God can move it. And I'm wondering if that's the reason why that is there. But remember, these first five verses are headed under the word arrival. These ladies arrive to the tomb. In law enforcement, when you get a call, you're in your car, and when you get to that call, you're supposed to signal that you've arrived on the call. Show me arrival. And this morning, as we look at the closing chapter of Mark 16, I want you to see here that when it has to do with arrival, not only do they get to the tomb, not only do they see that their problem and their worry is removed, but the fact that they're able to enter in is like they arrive to that necessary point that every human being needs to arrive to. And what's that point is a good question. What's the answer? Look with me at verse 5. They entered the tomb. They saw the young man. He was clothed in white robes. He's sitting on the right side. And they, it tells us, they were what? They were alarmed. Call your attention to this young man because it says here, young man, but you must see here this morning that this is talking about an angel. This is a God messenger. This is a God agent. This is God ministering to these ladies through an angel. Now, a good question would be, pastor, it says, young man, where do you get angel from? Put a marker there. Please go with me to Matthew 28, and you see that another one of the disciples and gospel writers, he gives the information that goes in line with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As a matter of fact, some gospel writers say that it was two angels. Mark focuses on the angel that was the most vocal one. So he's talking about the angel that, that is interacting with these ladies. But if you're there now... In Matthew, in chapter 5, I call your attention there, 28, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 28, it's verse 5 that tells us, but the angel answered and said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. And then I love what it says, as he said, just like he told you, come, see the place where the Lord lay. And then verse 7, Matthew 28, go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you into Galilee, and there you're going to see him, and behold, I am have told you. So, I stop there, I think with you, arrival. They arrive to that point that they see that there's an angel. It tells us that the angel is clothed in white. Because of time, I won't go there, but I want to give you Luke 24 for homework. Verses 3 to 4, Luke 24, verses 3 to 4. And then I want to give you John 20, John, gospel according to John chapter 20, verse 12. Luke 24, John 20. Since you're here in the gospel according to Mark, I want to show you this. Go with me to chapter 9, Mark chapter 9. You turn the pages from Mark 16, keep a mark. In Mark 16, because we're coming back there. But now go with me to chapter 9. And before I read it, what I want you to see here is that, biblically speaking, when we are in the presence of God, when there's no limitation, no interruption, in the presence of God, even our clothing, our our covering reflects God, and it is bright, it is white, it, it is just so pure and so clear. 
in Mark chapter 9, we're going to read where Jesus has at the Mount of Transfiguration. It's like in prayer, Jesus and the, the disciples, is like they step away from earth into the presence of God. Are you there with me? Mark chapter 9. And we're able to read there the description. It tells us in verse 2 that Jesus went to a high mountain. He took Peter, James, and John. They were by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Look at verse 3, Mark chapter 9. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, like no dry cleaners or washer machine, even if it's a Maytag. That's my translation. But here it says, like no launderer on earth can white them. No one can. I stop again. Look here. Something happened in Jesus as he's transfigured. He's in the presence of God, the disciples, that they're looking even at the clothing of Jesus. And even his covering reflects divine intervention, activity, participation. Why do I want you to see that? Remember, the word is arrival. These ladies have an arrival to the tomb. My question to you, the question of me is, have you ever had that arrival into the presence of God that even your covering, spiritually speaking, is affected? All of a sudden, you realize what's wrong and what's right. All of a sudden, like never before, you realize, you know what, this is contaminated. This is pure. All of a sudden, you realize, you know what, this is sinful. This is righteous. Have you had that? Nobody has to tell you. Your relationship with God in your heart, in your mind, in your conscience, in your life, God is beginning to speak to you, and you're listening, and you're receiving it, and you know it. These ladies arrived to the tomb, and it tells us here, Mark is writing, they saw a young man, but his clothing, it was, it was like white. They arrived. From verses 6 to verses 7, we move on now, and the word there is that there's an announcement. That can be labeled with the word announcement. And the word announcement, there's a proclamation. They arrive, they experience, now comes the proclamation. Let's read verses 6 and verse 7. This angel said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus? Of Nazareth, he was crucified. Can you read those three words with me out loud, please? He is risen. That was good for practice. Let's do that again. Let's see how we can do it. Let's, let's read it together, okay? What are the three words? He is risen. Remember, arrival, experiencing God. Now, here's the announcement. He is risen. Notice that this is an angel. Notice that nobody told him why they were there. He told them, go there and look at it. You'll see this. They looked up. The stone has been rolled away. They entered to the tomb. They saw the young man. He's clothed in a white robe. He's at the right side. They were alarmed. And now he says to them, don't be alarmed. They didn't say they were alarmed. You could say, well, maybe he saw it in their faces or not. What does the word alarm mean? I clicked on that word. It means to be thrown into terror. It's to be in amazement. It's to thoroughly terrify. It's a word that means you're astonished. It's a word that means you're frightened. You're greatly amazed. And they're amazed. You know, they see the angel. They're in the tomb. They still don't know everything that's going on. That's why the angel has to make the announcement. But notice something else here that's very important. He says, you are seeking Jesus of Nazareth. He knows why they're there. He knows who they're seeking. Why? Because the angel is a messenger of God. He knows that Jesus was crucified. And he knows that this is the announcement of what? The resurrection. He is risen. Keep reading the last part of verse 6. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. I stop a second. Again, I look to your eyes. If the angel would have been Spanish, he would have said, Mira, you know, he's not here. And that's the announcement. Resurrection. 
hope you're with me. Do you know what the resurrection is? The resurrection, my friend, is not a resuscitation. God forbid if anybody here would right now die, we would call 9-11, you know, fire rescue could come in. We have law enforcement here. They might do some chest compressions. You know, you kind of die. You came back to life. That's not the resurrection. That's resuscitation. You were dead. Now you're back to life in your sinful mortal body. Resurrection. Jesus died because of your sin and my sin. But the resurrection means that Jesus is the first fruit. He's the one now that he has a glorified body. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered the grave. He's now back alive, never again to die. That's the resurrection. Verse 6, that's the announcement. And verse 7 is the behavior that should correspond with the receiving that announcement. He said, go, go tell his disciples. And now I love this. It gives you a name of one of the disciples. Go tell his disciples and who? Peter. Peter. That he, Jesus, he's going before you into Galilee. And there, I love this, you're going to see him. You're going to see him. And then it says at the end of verse 7, there's five words here, right? You're going to see him as he said to you. Jesus had said to them. I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. So you have the arrival. You have the announcement. And the question becomes, verse 8 and then verses 9 through verse 20, it's an awareness. Let's think about this a little bit. Let me, let me look to your eye. I, I hope you're praying with me. Lord, remember how we started. Being at church, you're getting the word, you're getting the teaching, you're getting the worship. Lord, what are you speaking to my heart? The resurrection. Okay. They arrived. There's an announcement. What am I becoming aware of? The resurrection demonstrates that there is validation for the word of Jesus. And the resurrection demonstrates something that this morning I, I want to think with you on. And that's the word vindication. Let's define those terms. Validation is when whatever you stand for, whatever you believe in, you as an individual, you're validated. Someone says, you know, Carmen, Carmen is the real deal. That's like a validation. Vindication is when, when you said something and you were totally labeled as the opposite. You spoke truth and people said, this person's a liar. And in the case of Jesus, they crucified him as a thief, as a, as a lawbreaker, as a liar. They, he dies, right? But now with the resurrection, there's a vindication that shows, wait a minute, he was not a liar. He's the Lord. Everything he said, it was truth. Please, let me call your attention again to this verse here, Mark chapter 16. I hope you're there. Let me show you this. In verse 7... The angel said to the ladies, go tell his disciples, tell Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. You're going to see him there just like he said to you. Right there in the same gospel according to Mark, go with me please to chapter 8, Mark chapter 8. Let's look at the times that Jesus had said to them, listen, I'm going to die, 
but I'm going to rise again. So Matthew chapter 8, just need to go a few pages. You're traveling towards the front of the Bible, the front of the book, Gospel according to Mark. There in chapter 8, read with your eyes. I'll read it out loud, verse 31. And we see that it tells us here that Jesus began to teach them. The Son of Man is going to suffer many things. He's going to be rejected by the elders. He's going to be rejected by the chief priests. He's going to be killed. Look at this now. But after three days, he's going to rise again. Turn one page, go to chapter 9, verse 31. And it's interesting. 831, now is 931. So in chapter 9, in verse 31, is another incident in ministry of Jesus and disciples. And it tells us here, he taught his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. Day. One more, chapter 10. Go with me to chapter 10. This time is verse 34. Chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus again ministering to his disciples. He tells them. Verse 33, let's pick up there. Behold, uh, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed to the chief priests, to the scribes. They're going to condemn him to death. They're going to deliver him to the Gentiles. They're going to mock him. They're going to scourge him. They're going to spit on him. They're going to kill him. And then again, on the third day, what does it say? He's going to rise again. Trying to move very slow here this morning. Those of you that pray, please be in prayer. Lord, help us get this. Jesus is crucified. He dies. He's buried. The ladies come. They arrive. There's an announcement. But with that announcement, as we read, as we study, there should be An awareness do you have that awareness does Calvary Chapel Miami family have the awareness of the resurrection someone could say to me pastor what does the word awareness even mean if you're taking notes the word awareness means to have a knowledge, to have a perception of a situation or a fact. Awareness is when you have a knowledge, you, you're able to perceive that there's a situation, there, there's a fact, that is awareness. So before I highlight this point, The funny thing that what we just went over is that in the resurrection is a vindication. He wasn't lying. Everything he said is true. But now go back here to chapter 16 and you're going to see that this other bit of information is to highlight that awareness a little bit more clearly. In verse 7... The angel tells the ladies, go tell his disciples. But then it says here, and Peter. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. And there you're going to see him just like he said to you. The awareness of the resurrection. So I ask you, go with me this time to the gospel after Mark, which is Luke. Luke chapter 22. Go with me to Luke chapter 22, and we're looking at this, the resurrection. 
What does it mean when I really embrace the resurrection, when the resurrection embraces me? There's an awareness that Jesus is vindicated. Jesus is validated. So here in Luke chapter 22, we see that Jesus, before he goes to be crucified, he announces to his disciples, hey, this is going to happen to me. And then he speaks specifically to Peter. He says, hey, Peter, the devil has asked permission to take you on. Let's read it. So you see it there. Luke chapter 22, pick up with me, if you'd be so kind, in verse 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. But Jesus tells Peter, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. Family, look at that. First of all, it's good to see that Satan can't come at you unless God gives him permission. Satan is really not that big. I, I, I respect him, but I call him a dummy. Because he doesn't create anything new. It's, it's always the same thing, repackaged, you know, but it's the same thing. As a matter of fact, I believe that when you are in God, your ability to be creative is amazing. But as you draw away from God, your creative ability, it kind of dries up because Satan cannot create anything. It's usually the same thing. You follow church history and you see that churches, you know, they get this false moving of the spirit and people are screaming and they're barking like dogs and they're rolling. And it's always the same, the same thing, emotions, you know, and, and it goes from one thing to another. I think not too long ago, Pastor Sack reminded us of that, you know, and here in Florida, a lot of times it happens in Florida, this guy that they said he had the anointing of the Holy Spirit, people would come to him and he would punch him out. Old ladies would come to him, in the name of Jesus, pow, punch him out. And, you know, and, and the churches is flooded. People are coming and saying, don't the people of God see it? It's amazing how it's usually the same. It's like the same combination, three, four, five, six. And he gets people with the same combination. He tells them the same rhetoric, the same narratives, the same nonsense. You, you look at it, and it's the same nonsense, and there's no progress. And so, here we see that Satan is asking Jesus for permission for Peter. And it's like Jesus says, okay, Satan, go ahead. Sift them like wheat means he's going to do it as a slow process. If you take a banana, you know, you peel a banana. Not many people squeeze the banana from the back and the banana comes out. You know, you usually peel it, right? And if it's an onion, you have to peel it even more, right? Different layers. So, the whole idea here is... Peter, Satan's going to take you and he's going to peel away. He's going to peel away to get you to quit, to get you to flop, to get you to fail, to get you to flip, to get you to fumble. And I've given him permission. But then Jesus makes this declaration. I've prayed for you. And when you return, the implication of that is the last chapter in your life is not going to be Peter the flipper, the flopper, the failure. That's not going to be the last chapter in your life, Peter. You're going to return to me. And when you come back to me, Peter, you're going to be able to strengthen your brethren. In other words, your life, in spite of the addiction, in spite of the failure, in spite of the divorce, in spite of the fact that you were an absent dad or mom, in spite of the fact that your mom and dad were absent, in spite of the fact that maybe you're Cuban or maybe you're black or maybe there's slavery, in spite of all that fact, if you return to me, that's when you're going to strengthen your brethren. I think the implication there is if you don't return to me, it's not going to work. It's not going to fly. It's not going to be effective. But what I want you to see here with me, I hope you're seeing this, that Jesus makes a declaration to Peter. Now, Peter goes off. He denies Jesus three times. He fails. He flips. And now the ladies come. They arrive. There's the announcement. Jesus is resurrected. What does that mean? Ladies, I'm, I'm not finished with Peter. You go back and you tell Peter. You tell the disciples and tell Peter. So now I think with you, when the ladies come back, 
hey, he's alive. The tomb is empty. He told us, hey, Peter, and the, he, he mentioned you by name. I see Peter saying, he said my name? Yeah, Peter. But how did he say it? Tell the disciples, and Peter? Or did he say, tell the disciples, and Peter? How, how did he say my name? <laughs> I wonder. I wonder. When you get to heaven, you could ask him. But regardless of how he said the name, I know that the heart of Jesus is, Peter, I told you that I was going to strengthen you. I told you that you were going to return to me. I told you that you were going to strengthen your brethren. And Peter, when Jesus says something, Jesus fulfills his word. And so family, the resurrection, when you know the resurrection, when you embrace the resurrection and when the resurrection embraces you, you know, you have the awareness that Jesus fulfills his word regardless of who gets elected in November. You know that. It doesn't say, Peter, I pray for you. And when the Republicans are in office and you return to me, or the Democrats, he doesn't say that. And I wonder how many of us here in this room right now really know that. I wonder. And so as you read through Mark 16, we got to wrap it up. Notice that there's something beautiful that happens here. That is not just awareness, the perception of a situation or a fact. You have to go from awareness to an acknowledgement. Acknowledge means that you have accepted the truth, that you've accepted the existence of the truth. So from the arrival and the announcement, go with me to verse 8, and we're able to read, we're able to see there. That after this angel told them, go and tell the disciples and tell Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. And there you're going to see him just like he said to you. Look at verse 8. So they went out quickly and they fled from the tomb and they trembled and they were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Isn't that like an oxymoron? Isn't that like contradictory? So they went out, you know, and, and, and they trembled. They were amazed, but they said nothing to anyone. Now, if that surprises you, this should surprise you more. Many scholars or some scholars believe that this is where Mark really ends his gospel. That in chapter 16, verse 8, that's where he finished. And then some believe that from verse 9 to verse 20, that Mark really didn't write that. The way that they break this down is they say that that portion is not in the most ancient manuscripts. Others say that it's not in the authoritative manuscripts. And then some say that it's not in the original manuscripts when we don't have the originals. Now, I know this is academic. Try to stick with me on this. Say, Pastor, why are you telling us this? They'll even tell you that there's some words between verses 9 and 20 that don't appear in the rest of the Gospel of Mark. But when you study the Scriptures, you realize that there's words in the first eight verses that don't appear in the Gospel of Mark either. So uh, the bottom line is this. What would be good for you to know, and you could take this down and you could go back and check it. In John chapter 12... In John chapter 13, a lot of what you see here in Mark, John tells us. In Luke chapter 24, in verses 13 through 22, the gospel of Luke tells us. In verses 19 through 20 here of Mark, in Matthew 28, in verse 18, you're able to see that what Mark tells us here is found. So before I read it and, and we close the teaching this morning... Here's what I'm trying to communicate to you. The fact that Mark ends in chapter 16, verse 8, if he ended there, still the reader has to ask the question, how did we get from there to here where we are now? Are you with me on that? In other words, it says they were afraid. They said nothing to anyone how is it that the whole world, just about the whole world, has heard of Jesus? What happened? You, you, are you with me with that? Did, did I say that? To, are you with me on that? Is that confusing? Or 
And that's to show you that, man, this resurrection, there has to be an awareness, but eventually there's going to be an acknowledgement where the implication is these ladies didn't stay quiet forever. Eventually, the truth of the resurrection, the truth of Jesus, it affected them. And here's the application, the same way it affects me and it affects you. Eventually, the truth of the resurrection, if you're open to it, is going to rock your world, is going to transform your life, is going to change everything around you. Read it with me and you'll see it. Let's move on to verse 9. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdala, Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast out seven demons. She went, she told those who had been with him as they mourned, as they wept, verse 11. And when they heard that he was alive, that he had been seen by her, notice the initial responses, they did not believe. Verse 12, after that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking in the country. These are those on the road to Emmaus, right? They saw that it was Jesus. Verse 13, they returned. They told it to the rest of them. But even the rest of the people that they told them, not everybody believed them either. Notice that it's not easy to believe this because they saw Jesus died and crucified and buried. Verse 14, later Jesus appeared to the 11. He sat at the table. He rebuked their unbelief, their hardness of heart. Why? Because they did not believe those that had seen him after he had risen. But he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes, he that is water baptized, they're going to be saved. But he that does, does not believe, they're going to be condemned. The truth of believing in Jesus or not believing in Jesus, it is essential and it determines our eternity. Verse 17, moving on. I love this part. Jesus said, and these signs are going to follow those that believe. In my name, they're going to cast out demons. They're going to speak new tongues. They're going to take up serpents. And they're going to drink any poison, anything deadly. And by no means is it going to hurt them. They're going to lay hands on the sick, and they're going to recover. Don't you love that? I think it's Abraham back there, the ushers, and, uh, and Manny's back there. Okay, guys, bring the snakes now. We, we have some snakes now today, and we're going to see who touches them. We're, no, we're not going to do that. As a matter of fact, any church, any ministry that does that, be very careful. Because the thing that I want to say here as you read this, I hope you get this. The essential thing here is not the tongues, is not casting out demons, is not the poison, is not the snakes. You say, really, Pastor? Then what's the essential thing here? Verse 19 and 20, we close with this. So then after the Lord has spoken to them, Jesus went. He was received into heaven. Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. Here's the beautiful thing, verse 20. But the disciples, they went out and they preached everywhere. And look at this. Here's the essence. Jesus was working with them. The Lord was with them. And it was Jesus that was confirming the word through the signs. And how does it finish? Amen. Worship team, please come forward. Closing words. Are you aware of the resurrection? I love it. Some of you are shaking your head and you're going, yes. I, some of you are looking at me like, Should I, is that a trick question? No. Are you aware of the presence of the Lord with you? Are you willing to testify of Jesus in your life? Are you actively serving Jesus anywhere? I think for a show of hands, I would ask you, how many of you, you don't have to lift up your hands. If you keep your hands down, this is not being recorded. I just wonder, how many of you here this morning, you would say, Pastor, 
I think this is my church. This is my family. You know, Pastor Zach is my pastor. The pastor's on staff. How, how many of you think that? A lot of you. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Thank you. The message this morning as we close up the gospel according to Mark. If you're not experiencing this, you should be praying. Last weekend, one of the beautiful things of the men's conference is we experienced Jesus was there. He was confirming his word. The accompanying signs were there. People were saying, hey, I want to get water baptized. Hey, I feel this peace. Hey, Jesus is here. Last Wednesday, we came and we heard the report. We've been looking at God working in the young adults. They, they've come back and, man, Jesus, you could see. And my question is, are you seeing Jesus in your marriage? Are you seeing Jesus as a parent? Are you seeing Jesus as a son, as a daughter? Because family, he's alive. And he's about to come back. The Bible says that as the return of Jesus draws close, the love of many is going to be waxing cold. Evil is going to be at an increase. Prophetically, it speaks about the Arab nations that will not go against Israel. And just in the fast, past few weeks, the Arab Emirate nations, they made a peace agreement with Israel. That part of the equation is there. There are so many things prophetically that are coming to pass. What are you, what am I, what are we doing when it has to do with Jesus? And I pray, I pray that you would, you would receive this properly. The fact that you're here, I'm thankful. I hope you come back next week. I hope you keep coming back. There's a time in the Lord that you sit down and, and you're just sitting, you're learning, you're receiving. But then there's a time in the Lord that you stand and you're saying, Lord, how can I serve you in my family? You know, the people on the worship team, they, they worship the Lord. They help us to go into the presence of the Lord to worship so that our hearts can be ready so we can receive the teaching. How many of you here this morning, you're part of the parking ministry? Would you please stand up? Those of you that are part of the parking ministry, please stand, stand to your feet. You got one over here. You got one over there. You got one over here. You got one in the front. Please remain standing. Don't sit down, please. How many of you here this morning, you're part of the children's ministry? You teach the children. Please stand, stand to your feet and remain standing. So you got some over here. You got some over here. You got some over here. You got some over there. Some over there. How many of you here are part of the youth ministry? You, you minister to the youth, the teenagers, these teenagers that come here and you, hey, come on, stand up, three of you, you know, there's two of you, but one is uh, three, okay, standing up there, you know. Family, here's what I want you to see. The trumpet's about to sound. We're about to be caught up and to meet the Lord in the air. And those of you that are seated, again, some of you are seated because it's time to be seated. This is not to single you out. This is just to say there's a time to sit, but then there's a time to, to stand and to say, you know what? Jesus is alive. How can I serve the Lord? Maybe I could be an usher. Maybe I could serve in children's ministry. Maybe, maybe I could do worship in time. Maybe, And you just pray. You keep it in prayer. These people that are standing, they made the service here this morning possible. And so I'm just trying to encourage you. How's your walk with the Lord? Is there passion? Is there fire? Do you wake up in the morning and say, thank you, Jesus, it's another day? Or do you wake up in the morning and say, oh, Jesus, another day? Maybe you look next to you and say, yeah, my wife is still there. Yeah, my husband is the same husband. Oh, Jesus, thank you, another day. I suggest to you, you don't know the power of the resurrection. The demons, the devil, death, the grave was trying to hold back Jesus. But on the third day, Jesus conquered and he rose. And your relationship with your husband, with your wife, with your kids, with your parents, with work. Some of you say, oh, I got another day. I got to go back to work. It's the same boss. You're praying for the boss to get saved. But maybe you should change that prayer and say, Lord, let me know the power of the resurrection. That if it's the same boss, Lord, the power of Jesus in me will have me in that job while I'm supposed to be there. And then when it's time for me to move on, Lord, you'll know it and I'll know it. The power of the resurrection. There was no holding back these disciples. 
Notice they were hard to believe. At first, they didn't believe it. They were too let down. They were too disappointed. I'm not going to believe this again. No way. But eventually, they had to believe it because it was true. And their lives were drastically transformed. Those of you that are standing, we're praying for you. You may be seated. Thank you. Those of you that are seated, I pray that one day you could stand. Maybe here, maybe in another church, you're doing something for Jesus. The Lord has shown you your mission in life. You got a mission. You were saved for a purpose. You're supposed to shine the resurrection reality of Jesus in that gift that he's going to give you. Music, sing. Some of us maybe don't have, if we always sang, the church would be cleared. Don't join the worship team. Up here, you could sing down there. Some of you, you're going to have the gift to teach kids. Some of you, you can't teach kids. You'll be arrested. <laughs> you have a gift. This is the body of Christ. The church is supposed to be the body of Christ. There's a place for you in the body of Christ. Some of you, maybe your place is prayer. You're going to pray for the church. You're going to pray for the worship team. You're going to pray for the pastors. That's going to be your ministry. And you're going to faithfully pray. You're going to get on your knees. You're going to have a time. You're going to have a place in your house. You're going to get on your Lord, bless the church, Lord. Shake the church. Save people, Lord. Wake up people, Lord. But listen, that trumpet is about to sound. And when you stand before Jesus, I want you to be able to tell Jesus, yeah, our pastor, he told us that. He told us that. Get in the game. Some of you might say, well, I, I don't know if I'm good for it. Get in the game. Ask Jesus to show you the resurrection power. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, we, we need you. I need you, Lord.